Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 89. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Before we get started with the interview, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to unleash your leadership potential? Are you like me? Do you hate mediocrity in your life? Are you ready to destroy it, eliminate it out of your life? You want to crush those limiting beliefs that are holding you back, realizing your full potential? Then I encourage you to think about joining a mastermind. I'd love to see you in my Leadership Growth Mastermind. We'll meet one hour a week for 10 weeks. We'll do a detailed study of a leadership book. We'll have special guests, guests that you heard on the show, and we'll talk about leadership. We'll push each other, hold each other accountable, and take it to the next level. The space is limited, though. I like to keep the classes to 10 people or less so we get that full interaction. It's an amazing experience. I'm just finishing up a, a, an eight-week course now. And some of the folks are, are friends for life, and their lives have been changed, too. And, and I love the testimonials that they've given me. And you can see some of those on my website, doseofleadership.com. Go to the menu item, Mastermind Info, to get more information. I'd love to see you on the inside. So take a look and let me hear from you. Thanks again for all your support and enjoy the interview. Well, what an honor it is to have Stephen M. R. Covey on the show today. He is a New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, and he's a co-author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Smart Trust. He is the former CEO of Covey Leadership Center, which under his stewardship became the largest leadership development company in the world. Stephen personally led the strategy that propelled his father's book, Dr. Stephen R. Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, to become one of the two most influential business books of the 20th century, according to CEO, Mag- CEO Magazine. As president and CEO, Stephen nearly doubled revenues while increasing profits by 12 times. During that period, the company expanded throughout the world into over 40 countries, greatly increasing the value of the brand and enterprise. The company was valued at $2.4 million when Stephen was named CEO, and within three years, he had grown Shareholder value to $160 million in a merger he orchestrated with the then-Franklin Quest to form Franklin Covey. A Harvard MBA, Stephen co-founded his own boutique firm, Covey Link, which is a learning and consulting practice focused on enabling leaders and organizations to increase and leverage trust to achieve superior performance. Stephen, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. It's been a long time for me to get this scheduled. I'm so excited that you're finally here. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much, Richard. I'm delighted to, to be on this podcast and, and appreciate uh, your whole approach to leadership. I think it's consistent with what I'm talking about with trust. So thrilled to have this chance to talk with you. Well, yeah, let's 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 uh, let's get into that. Uh, the whole idea about trust. I mean, certainly people who've listened to this podcast have heard me talk about it. You know, and again, we were talking right before the recording here that uh, you know leadership is influence, and influence means you got to have relationships. Relationships are you got to be authentic and courageous, and, and that is at the heart of trust. Tell me what inspired you to kind of focus uh, on trust. Why is it so uh, important and a passionate topic for you? You know, I started to to notice it everywhere, and, 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 and I felt like, you know, trust kind of got a, an incomplete uh, kind of understanding about it. Most people see trust as a good thing, as a positive thing, but still for many people it's, just seem kind of as a nice, soft, warm and fuzzy, soft and fluffy social virtue. 
what I began to realize was that, yes, trust is a social virtue, but it's so much more than that. It's also an economic driver mm-hmm. because it affects the speed at which you can move and the cost of everything. And and if you think about it, anytime you have relationships where there's where there's low trust, you know, whether it's with a partner or a or a colleague or a peer or a team or with a customer, supplier when there's low trust, everything takes you longer to do, so your speed goes down and cost goes up. Everything costs you more. Why? Because you gotta take all these steps to compensate for that lack of trust. Whether it be checking, verifying, validating or whether we're dealing with the redundancy and the bureaucracy and the excessive layers and levels that get put in place in low-trust environments. And that is what I call a tax, a low-trust tax. But the good news is that the converse is equally true, and that is when that when the trust goes up in any relationship, on a team, in a company, with a partner, with a customer, when the trust goes up, you'll find the speed goes up with it. Everything happens faster. The yeah. cost comes down. Everything costs you less. And that is a dividend, a high-trust dividend. And really, Richard, it's, it's that simple, that real, that predictable, but it's playing out everywhere. But, you know, high, low-trust taxes, high-trust dividends, always affecting speed and cost. And so suddenly the idea was trust is not just some nice, warm and fuzzy. It is economic. And you can put a value on it. You can monetize it. And that's kind of a big idea. And that made me excited that, that no one's really t- telling that story uh, um, or maybe maybe some are, but, but, but we haven't got it out there yet. That this this trust is not just some nice, fluffy thing. It's it's economic. It's financial. You can put a value on it, and that was kind of one of the first things that that drew me to this topic. You know, I like the idea. You know, I never looked at it in the economic sense too. But when I when I read it, I mean, it made absolute perfect sense. You gave a great example in the book. Uh, where Warren Buffett completed the acquisition of McLean uh, distribution from, um, was it uh, uh, Walmart, right? Correct? Walmart. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, they did it in a, on the basis of a two-hour meeting, right? I mean, because the trust was selling. Yeah. Exactly. It was, it, was, it was really remarkable. Two-hour meeting. And these are public traded companies, uh, Walmart and then Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway. Um, so they're subject to all the rules of the marketplace, SEC, Sarbanes-Oxley, et cetera. And, and yet, they go in, do a deal, they have a two-hour meeting, do a deal and a handshake, and the whole deal is closed, start to finish, in 29 days. And they did no due diligence. Wow. But there was, there was, there was trust there. And I, and I talked to, by the way, I talked to Grady Rozier, who's the CEO of McLean. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, you know, how, how, how are you able to do this to this fast? And he said, you know what? We had, there was one uh, precautionary legal issue or else the thing would have been done in two weeks. We started 29 days, but it could have been two weeks. Wow. He goes, but, 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 um, he said, but we had a reputation that we would always do what we said we were going to do. And Buffett had learned that and, 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 and he knew it. And we, so we went in and we had trust to start and he goes, and with trust, you can move fast. And that's how Buffett operates. He's done lots of deals similar to that, you know, mega deals happening, happen fast on the basis of trust. And then here it is today, Buffett has some, uh, he, you know, he's a great investor, but he's also an operator. He's acquired some 77 companies like McLean, um, Fruit of the Loom, Geico Insurance, Dairy Queen, and, and they operate as separate autonomous entities. Buffett himself has 77 direct reports reporting to one person, hmm. but he does it on the basis of trust, and, and they call it deserved trust. And, and they, they assume you deserve trust until you prove otherwise. 
But it's not a blind trust because they have very clear expectations and very high accountability given those expectations. But as a result of that, they get extraordinary speed, lower cost, higher efficiency. As one illustration of that, not only does Buffett do deals fast, like, you know, a deal like this, start to finish, 29 days, no due diligence, but of these 77 acquired companies, there's some 256,000 employees in these acquired companies. So this, this is a, a conglomerate, a holding company. If you look at a typical holding company, you'd have traditionally about one person at corporate headquarters for every 100 people in the field. So in a case like this, where there's 77 separate companies, 256,000 people, that would be on the 1 to 100 ratio, you'd have about 2,500 people at corporate headquarters in a typical uh, conglomerate. And that would be finance and accounting and legal and administration and operations and HR, et cetera, that would oversee all this. Well, there's not 2,500 people at Buffett's headquarters. There's not 1,000. There's not 500. There's not even 100. There's 21 people. Wow. 21 people. And that includes Buffett and his assistant. But they, but they operate on this reserve trust. I would call it smart trust. And they get enormous efficiency, high speed, low cost. And they see that as, a, as, as one of the key assets of the enterprise, this high trust culture, high trust environment. It's economic as well as social. And, that, and that's really kind of exciting to see. And it's, it's exciting to see it play out in the marketplace with, with uh, organizations and, and leaders and, and teams everywhere. Well, that is exciting. And it's refreshing, too, because one thing that drives me absolutely up the wall is inefficiencies and bureaucracies. And listening to what you're saying here, how do we break through that limiting barrier, break through that myth? Um, because we have all this. We have all the lawyers. We have everything else. Because trusting people is just too risky these days. But that's an absolute myth. I mean, you kind of argue, and I agree with you, that not trusting people is actually a greater risk. Expound on that. Yeah. See, see Richard, that's the, uh, you, you know, that, that's the key thing is that we have to recognize that to trust people is to take a risk. But to not trust people is also to take a risk. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, yeah, there, of course there's some risk, but there's also risk to not do it. And that's, and not doing it is more often the greater risk because when there's distrust, when, when there's distrust on a team or distrust between partners or distrust in a company or, 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 you know, you're going to see all kinds of costs creep in, all kinds of redundancy creep in everywhere. And, and people, you're going to see excessive layers and levels and policies and procedures and rules and regulations. And, and they'll go beyond what might be legally required. You're going to see also politics creeping everywhere and, and people becoming disengaged because nothing disengages people like not being trusted. And whereas nothing engages people like being trusted. So yeah, there's a risk when you say to someone, I trust you and, and, um, I'm going to operate on that trust. I'm going to extend trust to you. There's a risk to that. I know that. Um, but if you, if you do it smartly, like Warren Buffett does it, which is clear expectations as to what you're sending trust on and high accountability to those expectations. The reality is this. The vast majority of people are inspired by that. They rise to the occasion. They want to prove the trust justified. They want to perform for you and perform even better. There's always a few people that may abuse it. But what we shouldn't do is allow the few that abuse the trust to define for us the many, the vast majority that are inspired by it. 
and too often we design our organizations and our policies and procedures for the 5% that we can't trust, That's right. not for the 95% of the people that we can. And we penalize the many because of the, the few. What if you could instead design it for the 95% of people that you can trust, build a high-trust culture, and let that culture crowd out, weed out, starve out those offenders, those violators, as opposed to penalizing the many because of the few. And you've got to be smart about it. That's why I call it smart trust. You know, you, it's not just a blind trust where you're just kind of Pollyannish, you know, go out there and just trust anyone and everyone. No, you, you assess the situation, you look at the risk involved, you look at the credibility of the people involved. And if there's really high risk, like I was dealing with some, um, with a, an admiral of a nuclear submarine, and he said, you know, we have a nuclear submarine, so we, we have protocols to go to the bathroom. We have protocols to do anything. Are you saying you should get rid of those protocols? My response was, no. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't be too trusting if the risk is so great. You know, we're talking nuclear submarine here. So you gotta, it shows respect to have some control in place. But most of life is not nuclear submarines. And, 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 uh, it's something far less than that. And so, yeah, there's some risk in trusting and be smart about it. Look at the credibility of the people. And when there's high credibility and moderate or lower risk, you can maybe, choose to give out trust more abundantly. And, and then when you have to do it in a smart way, you'll get great returns. People respond to it. They, they're inspired by it. They perform better. But also, they reciprocate it. They get it back to you. When you, when, when you trust people, they, they tend to trust you back. When you don't trust people, whether it be partners or customers or your own people, they tend to not trust you back. So there's a reciprocity to trust. So many good things come from it. And so... If, you, if you're smart about it, smart trust, you can kind of minimize the risk while maximizing the possibilities. And that's the idea. Yeah, I love I mean, everything you're saying just is so refreshing and it makes sense. What can we do, though? Because, you know, I've certainly, and we all have, have been burned by this kind of blind trust or maybe even mm-hmm. we start putting on, as you put in smart trust, the glasses of distrust on. How do you break through that? What can we do? I mean, what, because it, it, and, you, and then I watch the news. I look, turn on the radio, the TV. Everywhere I look, I gotta be on guard. I gotta get LifeLock. I gotta get this. I gotta, you know what I mean? I gotta. How do how do I how do I survive in this cynical, distrustful world? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Richard. And I'm sure that any of our listeners are doing the same way, and I and I do too. I turn on the news and do the same thing. The reality is that. We're operating in a low trust world. And, and not, and the reality is not everyone can be trusted. And if we kind of are naive to that and blind to that and just kind of go around life polyannishly trusting everyone, we will get burned. Yeah. And we'll regret it. And so that is what I would call blind trust. And blind trust is where you're gullible. It's where you just kind of indiscriminately trust everyone, anyone and everyone, and, and you will get burned. So I'm not advocating that. But I'm also not advocating the other extreme. The other extreme is where you don't trust anyone because of the fact that you can't trust some. Yeah. And I see many managers kind of fall into that trap where they maybe got burned in trusting someone. And they say, hey, you know what? It's just too risky to trust other people. I only trust myself because other people might let me down. And while at the extreme, um, you know, you might feel like, gosh, well, you'll protect yourself that way. There is a risk in not trusting because you're not going to be able to engage your people and empower your people and bring out the best in them and, and they and you. You're not going to be leading them if you're not trusting them. So that extreme 
really won't work either in a collaborative world where you've got to collaborate and partner and team and you've got to engage people. And if you don't trust them, you won't engage them. So that extreme won't work. But neither will, be, will blind trust work. So I think there's a third alternative. And I call it smart trust. Warren mm-hmm. Buffett calls it deserved trust. But it's the same idea. And it's saying this. Look, there's two key elements. First, start with, with, a, with a high propensity to trust. Mm. By propensity to trust, that means a desire to trust, a willingness to trust, an inclination to trust, a bias to trust. That flows out of your heart. You want that to be high. In, in other words, I'd like to trust. I just got to be smart about it, see? But I, I believe that to extend trust is a better way to lead people. And, and, and I just got to be smart. And, but that's my starting point, is a, a high propensity or bias to trust. That flows from the heart. But I balance that in a low-trust world with um, my head, which is my, my analysis. And that's where I assess three things. I call these the three vital variables. What's the situation... You know, in other words, what am I considering extending trust on? What's the risk involved? And what's the credibility of the people involved? And so when it's nuclear submarines, that's pretty high risk. So even though i got high credible, credible people, it's a pretty high risk scenario. I'm going to be a lot more careful and cautious about how much trust I extend in a situation like that because the risk is so great. But Warren Buffett... You say, look, I've acquired these companies. I believe in these companies I've acquired. And my bias is to trust them. Is there risk? Sure, there's risk. Because someone might abuse it. But I'll, I'll mitigate that risk by having very clear expectations of what I expect of them and how they behave and very high accountability to those expectations. So I can minimize, I can, I can basically uh, minimize that risk by clear expectations, high accountability. And... I've, I believe in the credibility of these people. And, I, and, and it kind of comes back to the, the Henry Stimson statement. He said, the quickest way to make someone trustworthy is to trust them. Yeah. And to show them that you trust them. And the quickest to make someone untrustworthy is to not trust them and to show them that distrust. And in a sense, Warren Buffett is saying, I trust you. Now, I want you to be accountable to the trust I'm giving you. So here's what I expect. You say you can be accountable to it. But I trust you. And they rise to the occasion. So, so it ultimately becomes an act of judgment when you balance the, the heart with head, the propensity of trust with analysis. And, but if you have kind of no propensity to trust and high analysis, you find all the reasons why you can't trust anyone. And, you, and, you know, if you were Warren Buffett with no propensity to trust and high analysis, you'd be, I'd have 2,500 people at corporate headquarters overseeing every single right. thing everyone's doing because they can't trust them. And no dis- you know, and that'd be very expensive. Yeah. If I had, a, if I had all high preventive trust, no analysis, you know, I wouldn't have clear accountability. I'd, I'd, I'd probably get burned somewhere along the way because it's a low trust world and not everyone can be trusted. But if I had the combination, high preventive trust, transformed from my heart, balanced with equally high analysis flowing from my head, that gives me judgment. And it's not a one size fits all, Richard, as you might imagine. It's, it's judgment. But, but, you're, you'll be far more open and see possibilities if you start with the high propensity to trust because you can see it. You can see possibilities. When people don't start with that, they don't even see the possibility. Right. They're not even open to it. You know, so they say, hey, trust but verify, but really for them, it's all verify, 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 verify. <laughs> they never really started with trust. Right. You've got to start with trust. Just add to it the verification. Add to it the analysis. 
And that way, you remain smart about it because, you know, you use good judgment as to how much, et cetera, based upon how risky is it, what's the credibility of the people, and and, uh, and then you make good decisions. And so it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's judgment, but you'll find you'll have better judgment if you combine those two elements, the high propensity to trust, balance, with equally high analysis, so heart balance with head. Yeah, no, and I think it's great. And what's great about it, especially if you're coming from a space of you've been burned in the past, you're wearing the distrust glasses, you're very suspicious. The beautiful thing is about what you said about the propensity of trust is that is totally up to you and a choice to you. That is a mind shift or a mindset reset. And so I think that uh, is critical for people to understand that. All you got to do is start to believe, as you said so eloquently, is that you just have to choose to uh, start with there, that you want to believe that most people are What's the right word? Most people are want to be trusting, right? I mean, so that propensity right. to trust is a choice. And then, of course, then then the analysis side of you, the judgment, the head. Um, yeah. So combine the heart and the head. I like that. That's great. And I guess you know the result of that is going to be contagious. I, I would imagine if you continue to do that, uh, you know, you will get get it both ways. Once you give it, uh, you're going to get it back in return. And we, and I think inherently we know that. I think in our gut we know that because we, when someone gives us that complete trust we want to perform for them most of us do anyway and you absolutely don't, and you don't want to let them down yeah yeah you're that, that's your experience isn't that it? it's mine yeah. i think it's most people that we don't want to let them down uh even when a buffest direct report said no one wants to let warren down you know he trusts us and, and you want to live up to that trust and that's how the vast majority of people are they're inspired by it I put it this way, to be trusted is the most compelling form of human motivation. You want to prove it justified. You want to give back. But you also do tend to reciprocate it. And it becomes a virtuous upward cycle and, and really feeds off itself. And it does become contagious. Yes. In either direction. So, you know, distrust is contagious, too, where people go down that path of suspicion and they don't trust you and then, and then they find the evidence in your behavior and then you don't trust them and you find yourself going down a vicious path of distress and suspicion, creating more distress and suspicion. I've seen deals fall apart over that. I've seen relationships sour when neither party trusts the other and they feel justified in their distrust and yeah. they just find themselves finding the evidence and, and such. But that's the vicious downward cycle. The virtuous upward cycle also can work. You give it, you declare your intent. I want to trust you. I do trust you. You know, I want it to be smart, so here's what I expect. Here's accountability to it, but I do trust you. I start with that trust. People return it. And I think this is leadership. That's what leaders do. And I know that it's a big part of, uh, you know, what this is about. This is the Dose of Leadership podcast. So leadership, to me, is really about two things. I think the first job of a leader is to inspire trust. Yeah. That's who, who you are, your credibility, your, your character, and your competence. And then also how you act and behave with people, including being authentic, like you talked about earlier, and, and, and transparent and open and talking straight. That's the first job. The first job of a leader is to inspire trust. But the second job of a leader is to extend trust, yep. to give it. And it's really that act of extending trust is what, what really transforms a good manager into a great leader. Amen. Our, the, smart, the Smart Trust book has just come out in paperback, and we changed the subtitle from the hardcover to reflect that reality. The, 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 the new subtitle of the soft cover of, for Smart Trust is um, Smart Trust, the defining 
skill that transforms managers into leaders. And that skill is extending trust. That is a defining skill um, that makes a good manager a great leader. Because if you're not extending trust, you're not leading. You can be administering, you can be managing. The real leadership includes both inspiring the trust but also extending and giving. You just want to make sure you do it smartly. And that's why I call it smart trust because if you just, if you only said extend trust and you don't have that kind of clarity that we were talking about a third alternative of smart trust, then that's where you kind of run into some challenges where people say, well, I did, what you did what you told me and I got burned, you know, and it didn't work. And so you got to use good judgment. It's not a one size fits all, but that is leadership. That's real leadership. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, that's just beautiful how you said that. I mean, the bottom line is if you're not, like you said, inspiring or extending trust, the reality is you're not leading at all. I mean, that you're, you're absolutely right. You're not leading at all unless you are inspiring and extending trust. I mean, that... Yeah, can I give you a good example of this? Look, look at Tony Shea of Zappos.com. Mm-hmm. Now, Zappos, the online shoe sales and the like, they went from zero to a billion dollars really fast in a bad economy. And they made Tony Shea, you know, their whole mantra is, to deliver happiness to their customers, to their people. So Tony Shea made two decisions. First, he was going to trust his customers. Second, he was going to trust his people. So here's how the trust the customers look like. They, now, this is online shoes. They offer free shipping both ways. Hmm. That's extending you trust your customer. Because, you know, in theory, the customer could really abuse that, right? Right. Order 200 shoes, send back 199 of them. I'm going to ship you alive. But they, they, you know what? People are responsible. People like being trusted. And, and he said, I'm going to trust my customers a better starting point. And, and very, very few kind of abuse that. And if someone does abuse it, they just talk to the phone. And nine times out of ten, they're fine. And occasionally they might have to say to a customer, maybe take your business elsewhere. But that, that's the rare exception, if at all. And, and but people like being trusted. The customers like being trusted. They know that, that you know, having free shipping both ways is, is trust. And they like that. And they're loyal to Zappos. But they, they also said, I'm going to trust my people. And so here in their call centers, they don't have scripts. And they're not timed for efficiency. They're told, deliver happiness to the customer. We trust you. Do the right thing. They train them really well, but no scripts. They say, we trust you to use good judgment in working with your people. She was a great example of a company doing it. Same with Nordstrom, the, the retailer that's, that's uh, built high trust with customers. The, the employee handbook at Nordstrom is a single card, and the card has two sides. On one side it says, um, welcome to Nordstrom. We're glad to have you with our company. We have Our employee handbook is very simple. We have only one rule. And you turn the card over. Another side it says one rule. Use good judgment mm, I love it. in all situations. You know, there will be no other rule. And that's an extraordinary declaration of trust in their people. They're saying, look, we trust you to use good judgment. But they didn't do it in the vacuum. They were they recruited for this, hired for this, trained for this, mentored for this, coached for this. They built good judgment in the culture such that that's in the culture and people help each other to keep that kind of trust alive. And it becomes, you know, again, a reciprocal thing because it's easier for people that you trust to ask them to build trust with your customers. But it's hard to ask your people to, to build trust with customers when you don't trust them. It's just kind of incongruent. 
But it's natural and abundant to ask people that you trust to build trust with their customers. It becomes an extension of how they are and who, who they are and the trust that you've built with them. So this is really a, a contagious effect, an inside-out, ripple-out, you know, ripple effect of, of an either direction of, of high trust or distrust. And, and I'm just saying, let's get, get trust working for us because it's economic. And, and, and if you're smart about it, you, you can minimize the risk while maximizing those possibilities. Yeah, well said. All this stuff is resonating with me so well. I mean, I love everything you're saying. I mean, I, I just, I have example upon example, and I'm sure you've had them too, and the listeners out there as well. I, I think back to an example when I was in the Marine Corps and in the, in the, had a squad and a CO uh, committing officer that was um, a lot of distrust. He was worried. He was at the end of his career and he didn't want anything bad to happen. So he was very almost uh, micromanaging. And then at halfway through my, my first tour there we had a new CEO was the exact opposite extended trust and I remember I was a brand new aircraft commander and I was kind of um, trained of the old ways and I remember I broke down and I and I called back and and I said hey sir I, you know a generator failed I need to replace the generator uh, and he's like why are you calling me and he's like well I guess I want to get your permission <laughs> to replace the generator and he goes didn't I sign your aircraft commander papers four weeks ago and I go yes sir and he's like let's start acting like one i trust you make the right decision and that and just to, i wish i could show you the 18 months later this the, the how the culture changed in that squadron was completely different it's completely opposite and there were less uh wow. mishaps there were less mistakes there were less um because you had that high propensity of trust you know people wanted to wow. do, the, do the right thing all the time and so yeah, yeah isn't that interesting that that the whole culture changed, but you also got better results. Yeah. And so it wasn't like it was, we build the culture, but we now expose ourselves to all this risk and error. No, people want to do it right, don't they? Yep, they do. And we respond to it. And, and, and you know, um, they rise to the occasion, but it does change the culture. Because here's what you're going to get when, when, when you have that type of leadership, when you have high-trust leadership that, that extends trust smartly, you'll get the greater speed, you'll get the lower cost, because of the economics of trust, but you also see greater energy. Yes. And by energy, I mean your creativity will go up. That's creative energy. You know, innovation goes up. Your the engagement of people goes up. The engagement is organizational energy. You know, kind of to be to be trusted engages people. To be distrusted disengages them, and, and there's energy to that. Um, the, you'll see the the passion of people go up. That's emotional energy. Now, energy in all its forms goes up when the trust goes up. But also you'll see joy go up. And by joy, I mean happiness to an individual. On a team, we call it fun. It's far more fun and, and energizing to have high trust. And to uh, in an organization, we try and measure it as satisfaction. Overwhelming data that as the trust goes up inside an organization, the satisfaction of people goes up. And, you know, clearly the converse is true as well. When the trust goes down and you find the energy goes down, including the innovation of people, the creativity, the engagement, as will the joy, the happiness, the satisfaction, the fun. They'll all go down. So um, trust is this extraordinary performance multiplier. Helps you do things better, faster, have greater results, greater outcomes, lower costs, greater speed. But also, you, you get that energy. You get the joy, the happiness, the fun. And, and, uh, and that's really exciting. And so it, it really helps transform a culture and, you got a great example right there of what you experienced in the military. Yeah, and everything you said, it was so true. I mean, and we and we talk about, and this is 20 you know years ago, and we think back, but when we talk about that 
kind of second reign, all of it. There's good memories and all, but we we talk about that second commanding officer. The time it was, it was, it was, it was more joyful. It was more fun. It was more energetic. I mean, it was it, it was. It just seemed like a lighter place to be, um, and it was more just enthusiastic and engaging. So yeah, this is. It's it's always amazing to me when you talk about common sense leadership, and, and when you talk about it at ground zero, at zero speed, like you and I are right now, it's just you hear it and you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Inherently, know it's true, but it's just amazing how we talk ourselves out of it for whatever reasons, for fear and lack of courage. And, and really, that's all. All leadership requires courage, and what you're asking folks to do here in uh, Smart Trust is is to just step out in faith and courage and do the right thing, and and uh, you will be rewarded. I I, I agree with you. I, I agree, and I like how courage is a big part of your leadership approach, Richard, because, it, you know, yes, in a sense, it takes courage, because there's a leap in saying, I'm going to extend the trust, yeah. and there is a risk, and, 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 and to not think that is, is, is naive and inappropriate. There, there is a risk in trusting, sure. but when you also recognize there's a risk in not trusting, too. That, that when we don't trust, what does that do to people? What does it do to their engagement? What does it do to their excitement and their and their creativity and their innovation and and their um, their energy and so forth? And and it really does have a consequence on that. And so, kind of either way, there's a risk. And so, yeah, I gotta have some courage and say I'm gonna have the courage to take a risk, the courage to trust. And and um, I just wanna make sure I'm smart about it. Yeah. And and. Um, and so that it's not a blind trust, but it's a smart trust. Clear expectations, high accountability, and it's really powerful. And 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 then you know your whole idea of, of common sense leadership is is really right on because these are fundamental principles, and and they are common sense, but they're often not the common practice. Right. And and, and so we're just trying to make them common practice. And in fact, even that uh, Warren Buffett's uh, sidekick, uh, Charlie Munger, who's the vice chairman of uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett's company. You know, he, he, he was he was talking about how nobody has 21 people at corporate headquarters for a company of 256,000 people, and yet we do. Because now, why don't you know? But look at the efficiencies we get. Look at the speed. Look at the low cost. You know, and, and he says we get rid of the craziness. And the craziness is where you have people checking, people checking, people checking, people checking, people. And 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 uh, he goes, and then he asks the questions: Why don't more people operate this way? It's so basic, it's so foundational. And then he answers it himself and says, maybe because it's so foundational. That's right. And it looks fantastic. <laughs> it looks past the common sense. That's right. And, and we almost need to come back to that common sense and say, if we could make you know this the common practice and make smart trust the common practice and don't overreact to the fact that not everyone can be trusted. Yes, that is a reality. We have to factor that in. That's why we have the analysis. But we lead out, we start out with the high propensity of trust. We take the courage to do that, balanced by the analysis so that we're smart about it. And we'll find, you'll find that you're seeing possibilities that you maybe didn't ever see before. And it may be that you don't, maybe there's some risk involved so you're, you're not going to give absolute, you know, unrestrained un, uh, trust because there's some risk, but you're going to give some trust and say, I'd like to extend more and as we manage to navigate this risk. I'll, we can even extend more. But just extending some, people respond to it. They're the occasion and they want to prove they can do it. And then as they do that, their credibility goes higher. You can trust them more. And you find yourself going up that virtuous upward cycle. So 
it's really an exciting thing. At one level, it is common sense. At another level, though, it is not at all the common practice. The common practice tends to be what I call the, you know, the counterfeit behavior. That's when, right. When people, uh, they say that they trust you, then they hover over and micromanage you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, supervise your every move and activity, as I call it. So, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting stuff and it's so vital. Oh, yeah. In today's, in today's world, because it's a low trust world. Well, I got it. You as a leader can operate with high trust in the low trust world. What an advantage that is for you. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if anybody that's listening out there, I think, you know, there's a lot of books and a lot of things you got to have on your bookshelf that are required reading. I'm going to sit there and tell you the dose of leadership required reading. You got to have these on your, on your shelf. You got to have, um, the speed of trust and you got to have smart trust. And, um, basically, you know, the speed of trust is great because it sums up, it shows you that trust is the one thing that changes everything. I believe that wholeheartedly. And of course, smart trust is going to help you define that skill that's going to transform you from a manager to a leader. I got to tell you, Stephen, it's been so much fun. I can't believe uh, we're already 35 minutes into this. There's so much more I wish I could talk to you about. I got to have you back on the show because, um, I think what you're talking about is, is so key and critical. Give a quick plug. How Thanks, else can how, how can people find you? I mean, I know I've, uh, I'll have links to the books, and, I, and the uh, Smart Trust is coming out in paperback this week. Is that right? The, 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 the Smart Trust is coming out in paperback this week, yeah. and and should be in bookstores everywhere. And and uh, very 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 excited by it. Um, they can find us by going to uh, um, speedoftrust.com, speedoftrust.com, and and there's uh, um, information about. Uh, what we do with uh, organizations and, and teams and leaders, and we've, we've really tried to create a variety of different tools and processes for people to uh, um, lead out with trust in a smart way, and and to really turn this into the hallmark of their leadership. And to, and I think that's one of our strengths, Richard, is that rather than just only talking about why this matters. Why trust is important, you know, making the business case for it and leadership case for it, which I think we do very well. Most importantly, I think we give people a process for how they can do it. Yeah. A language so they can talk about it, a framework so they can think about it, and a process so they can actually do it and create it. And too often when people talk about trust, they say it's important, it matters, so build trust. And they leave it at that. Yeah. They don't give it that for how do you do it? And how trust is a function of your credibility and your behavior. And you can break that credibility down into four different pieces. And you can look at high-leverage behaviors to help you grow trust. And that's the whole idea, is to really get deliberate and explicit about how people can build trust. And that's part of what we do in, in the books and also in the, in the other offerings that we have. So uh, speedoftrust.com would be a good uh, website for people if they're interested in learning more. But also, the Smart Trust book is out uh, this week in softcover. And and uh, you can get it anywhere uh, books are sold or awesome. online. Guys, Stephen, uh, what a true honor and privilege to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on the Dose of Leadership. Delighted to be on, Richard, and happy to come back again. Right. Really appreciate what you're doing and, and your whole approach to leadership. Oh, thank you so much. It means sure. a lot. Talk to you soon. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. 
You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.